the series David, a nation after God's own heart. This is part nine. This is about the mighty men that worked with David, that were under David. And it says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Adino, the Ezrite, who was chief amongst the captains, because he had killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eleazar, and he, he was one of the three mighty men with David, whom they defied the Philistines who had gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammo, the son of Agi, a Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, so, he, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Then in verse 18, it says this, Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief amongst three, and he lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name for himself. Was he not the most honorable of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not obtain to the first three. Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kebzel, had done many great deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and, and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So he went down to him with a staff and wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name amongst the three mighty men. He was more honored than the three, but he was, he was uh, more honored than the 30, but he did not obtain to the first three, and David appointed him over the guard. Before David's reign is actually over, God in his holy Bible inspired the Holy Spirit because he wanted to make known to you and I the men who came along the side of David. So we would know the greatness behind David, and it's incorporated within these men. These men were behind the scenes, but they were able to give David the support so he could be and do all that God wanted him to be and do. It's rare, especially in our day and time, for many people want to be in charge and not be second. And people want to be noticed and not be behind the scenes. And that's just the way it is in, in many cases. But in verses 34 through 39, we have the other 30 men being mentioned here. So there was like 37 men that were total in, as being the officers of David's army. They got that level, not by election, but by deeds of accomplishment. It was the fruit of their lives that raised them to be David's mighty men. They were David's special forces. They were like the Navy SEALs of that day and time. I mean, we're talking about the greatest army that existed in the ancient world. We're talking about the greatest officers that existed in world military history at that time. And what are the characteristics of one that is a mighty, even amongst the mighty? Those were the names that we read today. So five of the six mightiest over the mighty are mentioned here. Number one, as a Dino there in verse 8, he killed 800 men at one time. Now you have to understand, Israel has always fought for their life. That's just their history. They've always fought to be in that land. They've always fought for their existence. That has always been their heritage. It's nothing unique for today either. It's all through their history as enemies have surrounded them, risen up against them in an attempt to destroy the Jewish people, to destroy God's plan for the Jewish people. But Adino in the Bible, according to First Chronicles, you know, he said he killed 800 here in 2 Samuel, but in Chronicles it says there were 800 men within this group 
but he killed 300 of those 800. So he was, that was pretty, that's pretty big feat right there. And you have to understand, that's not normal human strength. It's in the category of Samson kind of strength. And then there's Eleazar, verse 9 that we read about. He stood up to the Philistines when the army of Israel retreated. He alone went on the offensive and began to attack them. Everyone's yelling, retreat, regroup. Eleazar is, re is not retreating, but he is going on the attack until he grows weary. His hand was weary holding on and swinging that sword, but it says his hand was stuck to the sword. He was not about to drop it, no matter how weary his hand became. He fought through the pain and weariness, and it paid off. God used him and brought a great victory to Israel because of this one man. When the, re when the retreating troops realized that a victory had happened, they came back to plunder the dead. But Eleazar, he stood when all others retreated. Not just stood to them, but he went on the offensive against them. And then you have in verse 18, Abishai, who, had three, who also had 300 men killed with a spear. I mean, how long does it take to kill 300 men? I mean, you have to understand the mentality of these guys was you fight and you fight and you fight and you keep on fighting and you don't stop fighting until you win or till you're killed. And then they would count how many people they killed. They would count the numbers and see if there's 100, 200, you know, 300. You fight and you fight until you win. If there was 300, so be it. But 300 was not as important as you never quit until you win. And you can be sure of one thing. When an enemy is about to fight against David's army, they knew by intel where guys like Adino, Eleazar, and Abishai were located in the ranks of David's army. And then you come to Benaiah, verse 20, who killed two lion-like heroes from Moab. And to understand, these two guys were Moab's mighty men, the top two great heroes who I'm sure had made names for themselves in killing Moab's em enemies. But the best of the best of Moab faces one of the six mightiest of the mighty men of David, and this one guy, Benaniah, takes them both out. On top of that, he jumps to a pit and kills a lion on a snowy day. I mean, you know, the thing is, is killing a lion in a pit, how long was he in that pit? He was probably very hungry. And actually, he kills a lion in its most dangerous point of its life when it's hungry, and he takes it out. And there's the Egyptian that was a spectacular man, which means he was an incredible warrior. And I would imagine he was a man like Goliath, intimidating, very skilled. And this Egyptian had a spear, and Benaniah all he had was a staff, proceeded to take the spear away from him and kill him with his own spear. Then the other 30, 31 mighty men listed, a total of 37 of these guys in this one army of Israel. No wonder David never lost a battle in the battlefield. I mean, look at the guys that he had. I mean, these guys fought for David's kingdom. And here's what I want to drive home. You and I fight in a different kingdom, in a different battle. We fight in the son of David's army. David's army fought with physical weapons. We don't. We fight with spiritual weapons, which are much more powerful for God's purposes. Our weapons are love, the word of God, and prayer. These are our weapons that we fight with. Once again, they fought a physical enemy in a physical warfare. We today fight, in a, we fight a spiritual enemy in a spiritual warfare. But what we share with these mighty men of David is character our character is to be the same as their character that we know our place to our leader jesus but we are second but we are behind the scenes and adino you know we are to make a stand in his word like adino did that's why he did that the word you know for us is the sword like they had back then 
even when we're in our hostile people, we're in, with people who are not fond of Christians, we have a spiritual weapon that is powerful. Our sword is the word of God. But we need the character of these mighty men of David. For we are called to be faithful, even with the odds that are against us. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, principalities, and thrones in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. See, God calls us to stand. That's our part. It's God's part to be faithful to his word and his promise of his word. Our job is just to stand in that day of evil. In Eleazar, we are to stand in the midst of a battle, even when God's people retreat under the attack of the enemy. And of course, they do because of the purposes of self-preservation, for purpose of not wanting the hardship that comes with making a stand. And we can't control retreating Christians who would rather compromise than make a stand. But those like that in the body of Christ is not the standard for our lives. God's word is a standard for our lives. And like Eleazar, we're to fight, and we are to fight even beyond our own strength. As the old saying goes, God will push beyond our own resources so we can discover his. He will put us in those battles that we fight beyond our own strength to the point of exhaustion. But we hold on to the sword of God's word in our hands. So that becomes one with us. And with that sword, what that sword was to them, the word of God is absolutely to you and I the same way. In Hebrews 4.12, it talks about the word of God. It says the word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, ready to divide under soul and spirit, even bone and marrow. It's alive. It's powerful. It's a double-edged sword, the Bible says. Jesus himself welded his hand to the word of God as he faced the enemy there in the wilderness. As at each temptation of Satan, Jesus said the same phrase over and over again. It is written, it is written, it is written. And each time Jesus quoted a passage, Jesus <clears throat> stuck. He welded that sword of the word until he won. And he did because Satan, we know, was forced to retreat. But it was more than just quoting the Bible. Jesus lived it out. He demonstrated that what he quoted as his life. He lived out that part in his life. And let me illustrate it for you in this way. As we've seen abortion and its evolution to the point that a child can be aborted at late term, and that means it's a child who has developed to the point in the womb that it can survive outside the womb. And it seems as this abortion battle rages on and on and on, we can find ourselves getting weary. But we never let go. We are to fight God's word, to weld his word to our hand, and not only just quote it, but we live it out. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it talks about the preciousness of how we are wonderfully made. In, in Jeremiah 1, 5, it says, Before I was formed, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, says the Lord. Before you were born, I set you apart. Children are a heritage from God, the Bible says. And we hang on to that. Like Eleazar, our hand is welded to the sword. We'll not let go of the sword. You know, that's a life that's precious to God, and murder is wrong, especially to the innocence of one who cannot defend themselves. It doesn't matter how long the battle rages on. We are to fight, we're to fight, we're to hold on to the word and weld it to our hand and never let go until we win, and we will win. But we need that kind of character as the mighty men of David to have that kind of mindset that there's no quitting, there's no compromise. We're in a spiritual warfare, 
and I'm going to battle, I'm going to fight and all the way until we win or, <laughs> in that case, until I die. And as Eleazar took the sword and defended the nation, we are to take the sword and defend the unborn child. Weld it to our hand. Fight and fight until we win. You see, this is the point within these mighty men. We see a nation being after God's own heart. As we have seen, their king being after God's own heart. And that's the true litmus test. Because within these mighty men who represented the nation, truly showing they're after God's heart. And may we be a church. May we be a Christian community that truly shows we are a church and a community after God's heart. Where we fight and we fight. Not for political stuff but for the biblical stuff that's thrown into the political arena. God has called us to stand up and defend those lives. You see, abortion of a child is the ancient worship of Molech, which was a Canaanite god. When Israel entered the promised land, they sacrificed the children, the unwanted children. It was basically late-term abortion thousands of years ago. And unfortunately for Israel, some of them got caught up into that culture, and they were sacrificing their kids also. When God told them to wipe out that culture, but they didn't hold the word of God in their hand as a sword. They compromised it, and they let them stay, and they let their worship of Molech stay until finally they were caught up in it. But it doesn't change God's word, because God's word says you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And also it says that the practice of Molech was punishable by death from God. It was punishable in that way listen if you are one who's had an abortion or one who talks someone into having an abortion understand god's grace is extended to us with forgiveness there's no sin greater than god's forgiveness if we confess it we repent it he will wash it away if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness listen if you listen these mighty men were willing to die for what they believed they're willing to fight until they won or they died. Is there anything that you are willing to die for? Because there are not only things in life worth living for, but there are things in this life worth dying for. That's what it is with us. And where are we going to get the next generation of soldiers to fight like David's men fought? Where are we going to get the next generation of law enforcement to lay down our lives to protect our communities? Where will we get the next generation of firefighters that storm a building willing to die to save lives, and the list goes on and on and on. And I can say for us, I think every single one of us that are parents would say, I'm willing to die for my children, absolutely. And I believe that God's built that into every parent. If somebody comes and says, I either, either, either it's your life or your child's life, it's a no-brainer. Take my life and not my child's life because God has built that in so the generation can progress and continue to move on. That's how precious the children are in God's sight. Our children who are raised up to stand on the Word of God. We've got to deliver the Word of God to our children. We've got to make them stand on the Word of God. We make them believe. Same with us, that it's willing, we're willing to die for God's Word at any cost. And if we in this generation don't see that there is value in sacrifice, that there's value in dying for someone or something or some cause, if we don't value that, then where will the next generation of missionaries, law enforcement, firefighters, doctors, etc., come from? Jesus Christ himself said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down all on my own. He had a cause worth dying for, and it was the human race. Jesus came and he died. for. He believed in something to die for. And the press is from us in God's word. Are we willing to die for something that we believe, a person, a cause, or whatever it may be? We can live for a lot of things, but man, 
God calls us many times to die for me, and he calls us to hang on to the word of God and that we would swing it and we would live for it and we would die for it. Listen, no doubt these mighty men show us that Israel has become a nation after God's heart. And may we become a church, a community, a Christian nation after God's heart to give the next generation the value of standing with the sword of the word drawn, welded to our arms and our hands and fighting and fighting until we win or until we die. And may the next generation know there's value in sacrifice and dying for something. And dying to ourselves has great value to our Father in heaven.